Welcome to Ink and Pete, where memoir and Ireland share the stage. We talk with authors, guides, ghostwriters, and other free spirits drawn to memoir or enchanted by Ireland. I'm Barb Robitaille. And I'm Craig Stewart. And it was really moving and it caused me to realize that this was not just my experience. This was an experience perhaps that came to me to be shared. In the depths of the global pandemic, one of her dear friends gave Delilah Olson a milkweed plant to attract monarch butterflies to her Portland, Oregon garden. A keen observer, Delilah noticed a tiny caterpillar had hitched a ride on the milkweed and realized she'd been given both a physical and metaphorical gift to lift her spirits. She set about creating a safe haven to support, watch, and record the caterpillar's metamorphosis. A fan club of the little caterpillar emerged through followers of Delilah's posts on Facebook. And from this experience, her first book was born. Fred the Monarch, A Tale of Transformation and Hope. Delilah Olson is a writer, Manasari educator, and is the wise and creative force behind wisdomofnaturepress.com. There are so many aspects of Delilah's book that are really appealing to me, not the least of which is having a little caterpillar come to her house and and (laughs) have her watch it turn into a butterfly. (laughs) That is really cool. It is cool. I can tell you one thing for certain. There's nobody's dining room table I'd rather land on than Delilah's. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, Delilah is just the best. And so Fred lucked out, in my opinion. Mm. And, and of course, Delilah certainly benefited from the experience, as I think we all are now able to do as well, because of what she created in the way of, of writing the story. The illustrations are exquisite, and they capture the experience so beautifully. So, you know, she, she was just being Delilah, and certainly the Delilah I know that is kind, compassionate, caring, and is that sacred observer of life and of others and of herself. Her students are lucky. Yes, they are. She's been a writer. She's written her whole life, but she never saw this coming as as her first book or as something to publish. I imagine she's had other ideas, but nothing has come to fruition like this. I think everything in her life has prepared her for this book. In other words, she's a she's a Montessori teacher. She's been a keen observer since she was a child. She's been writing since she was a child. She has this awareness of greater things and of the power of nature and creatures that are different than humans. It's almost like, like she says in the interview, Fred came to her at the right time. It seems perfect, doesn't it? I, I agree with you. And also, this is one of those times when her mother saw something in her and knew it was, you know, knew that that writing was a a part of how Delilah expressed herself and related to the world. And I I love that. Every once in a while, mothers know best. Boy, isn't that the <laughs> truth? She mentions, of course, this is something we've heard from many other guests, that to be a writer, you simply write every day. Yes. And you don't necessarily have to know what your topic's going to be, what you what your idea is. You'll be met by the idea. And I'm, I'm glad that she mentioned that because I think that we all need to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So we uh, are looking for caterpillars on pretty much everything that comes into our house now. 
<laughs> so far, we haven't found any. But, Not yet. Yeah. But we're, we're being open and observing. That's right. And uh, we won't miss it if it happens. No. So let's put the kettle on and have a listen to Delilah Olson. Hello, Delilah. Welcome to Incomplete. Hello, Craig. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this conversation. Congratulations for publishing your book, Fred the Monarch. What a what a wonderful accomplishment. Thank you so much. It's been a really delightful distraction during a time when we can all use a distraction and I think a really beautiful process. Now, you have been writing for a long time. Yeah, I... You know, I've been writing for my whole life. I think even in childhood, my little journal was a way for me to process. I was an extraordinarily introverted kid and um, so not necessarily very communicative with the outside world. And so instead, you know, I did, I communicated through my journal. That was always an outlet for me as a child and on into adulthood as well. When you were writing in the journal as a child, did you envision writing a book? Was this something that you've been wanting to do for a while? I don't think that I necessarily envisioned writing a book, although my mother always said I should write a book (laughs) because I was like so many children, right? I was a collector of little things that I collected on my walks. And so I always had rocks and feathers and, you know, little bits of things that I kind of chronicled in my journal. So I think my mom always imagined that I might write a book and I'm, I wish she were here to see that that finally happened. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's talk a little bit about how, how it finally did happen. How, how did this book come out? It's a pretty great story. Yeah. Well, the, the book came out as a result of my friend, Maurice, who is a, also an educator like me, came through town during the pandemic. We had been communicating virtually about gardens and things. And I had actually been on a Zoom call with her. She was sitting in her garden in Santa Cruz and there's all these monarch butterflies fluttering around. And I was remarking about that. And she said, well, when I come through, I'm going to bring you a plant from my garden, a, a milkweed, because that's what monarchs like to eat. And so she did. And and then as it happens, there, there was this tiny little stowaway on the plant, this not maybe a centimeter long or less at the time, this little monarch caterpillar. And so it was October in Portland. So I couldn't put the plant outside. It would have died. And so what ended up happening is, is I set the plant on my dining room table and that little caterpillar went through all of the phases of its incarnation here uh, and with me sitting and observing it. And so the really the story of Fred, I I think of it less like myself authoring a book and more like me being a scribe as Fred was telling and teaching me his story. That's nice. It's sort of like, it's still a, you know, the collector of little things and you're chronicling one of the collections and. Absolutely. Exactly. Right. And I was in a, because we were all in this kind of, you know, semi-lockdown mode, at least during the early stages of COVID, I had time to sit and deeply observe this creature and take in the lessons that he came to teach. Oh, yeah. Well, the full title, to be clear, is Fred the Monarch, A Tale of Transformation and Hope. 
Okay, I don't want to give too much away because I want people to rush right out and, and get their own copies. But what, while you're watching this transformation of Fred, how did that affect your days? How did that affect your your just being in isolation and in COVID? Yeah, well, you know, I, it was a really lonely time for me. I live alone with here with my cat, Staccato, who's also somewhat featured in the book. And, and it was like all of us, you know, I wasn't going out much other than taking walks in my neighborhood. It was a very, very isolating time. And it was a bit like making a new friend. You know, I know that sounds a little bit silly, a caterpillar, but I, I developed this attachment to the process where I, it gave me a sense of excitement about waking up and what was going to be the state of this creature. I would say that the, even though we all know that, it, that there's a scientific basis for, for the entire process of metamorphosis in butterflies and other things too, there is a miraculous aspect of it from my perspective that just it was like, I can't wait to see what it's going to be like today. And I think the, the, the hopefulness about that is that in this time of so much isolation for everyone on the planet, certainly not only me, we can be reminded that nature carries on and nature's uh, evolutionary processes carry on. And that if we can slow down, whether we're forced to, like by a pandemic, or whether we choose to just slow down and pay closer attention, there is a lot of hopefulness about carrying on, I think. And I think that the, that the trees and the butterflies and all the other creatures that we share this planet with can be teachers in that regard. Ah, well said. You mentioned in the book, I think this is a line from your book, correct me if I'm wrong, that there was another miracle rippling into a universe of miracles. Yeah, that's the way I see it. <laughs> well, and that's how it comes across too, Delilah. You, the book is lovely, both in in thought and sentiment, but also in the visual aspect. The The pictures are really engaging and you do see, You, I feel like when I read it, I felt it was like, a part of this miracle that's unfolding just by virtue of the photos with the text. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the visual aspect of your book? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of like gloriously by accident, really. I, I have a camera phone, I have an iPhone. And so every day as I was observing the process, you know, I'm snapping photos with my iPhone because I was also chronicling the whole story on social media, on my Facebook page. So <laughs> funnily enough, Fred kind of developed this following of people on Facebook. Who, <laughs> <laughs> they're following my, my story as I'm updating every few days. And I noticed that I started getting private messages from people, some of whom I know really well, some of whom I don't know really well, but they're following and they're captivated by the process. And I'm getting these messages like, you know, what's happening and how's Fred doing? And please, please, please go step and, and it was really moving and it caused me to realize that this was not just my experience. This was an experience perhaps that came to me to be shared because people seem to be asking for that spontaneously. It wasn't my plan. It's just, it's just what happened. This um, little creature captivated us all, you know, in that moment in, in time. It speaks to your observation skills and your your sensitivity. So 
being a Montessori teacher or an administrator now, I guess, you're well accustomed to seeing through that lens. But how did you know how to take care of a caterpillar? Well, I've been a Montessori educator for almost 40 years. And back when I was a classroom teacher or guide, as we refer to ourselves in Montessori, I had raised caterpillars with my children. You know, every year in my school, we we get these larvae and we these butterfly boxes made of net and we we do the process with the children in the classroom. And so I sort of understood that this was different because Fred came to me on a milkweed plant rather than in a jar of, you know, whatever they send it from yeah, the lab. From the lab. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I understood that the process of metamorphosis was certainly not dependent on any kind of human interaction. I understood that he sort of had what he did, what he needed to do his work. The part that was a little curious was, you know, he was just free on my dining room table for a long time. And I kept thinking, I wonder if he's going to wander away and be lost in the house. But of course, he didn't leave. He didn't leave the plant because butterflies are wise like that. They they know not to walk away from their food supply. Right. I'm kind of like that myself, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Close I can get to the fridge. Yeah. So at one point, Fred wasn't near the food source or he was on a stem or something. I don't exactly recall, but you put a, you put a ruler or a bamboo or something to try to get him to move over. And he was like, Hey, back off. Yeah. I started obsessing like, Oh my God, he's running out of leaves and what am I going to do? And it's October in Portland. And how am I going to, you know, I just started doing the human thing of trying to problem solve in advance, anticipating that, that he would run out of food. And the, the milkweed plant was kind of in two sections in this pot. And so I attempted to move him to the other section where there would be lots more food. And he just completely recoiled. And the message was like, let me be, you know, don't mess, don't mess with mother nature, I think is what I said in the book. Yeah. And, and it was a great metaphor, I thought, like so much of what I learned observing Fred, which is, that we often think that we know what's best for someone else, but truly, you know, each creature knows what's best for itself. Right. Yeah. Right. So whether it be a a butterfly or a human. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get that. And there are a lot of little gems like that in the book, which makes me wonder like, who is your intended audience? Yeah, you know, initially uh, I felt that my intended audience for the book would be children because that's my sort of audience in the world, you know, in my work. It's I've I've been devoted to kids for all these decades and so I initially thought I'm just writing a children's book and then I started getting feedback from people as I made some drafts and got some input, you know, from people saying this is maybe a story for adults as well, or, you know, adults who could maybe revisit some aspects of our earlier development in the way that we view the world. And I think that that's probably true. I also think that every sort of decent piece of children's literature speaks to the child within at the same time, because aren't we all still kind of developing on all levels. I heard it said once that we are every age we've ever been. And that really resonates for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would guess that while you're seeing these comments come in on Facebook and these messages that come into you reinforce that notion. Yeah, I think so. 
you know, Maria Montessori was a brilliant and visionary woman who lived, you know, way more than a hundred years ago. And the whole basis for training, teacher training in Montessori is observation. It's not giving lessons or learning about scientific facts or making sure that you can convey this rote information. It's all based on observing children and then observing yourself, observing children, meaning paying attention to what children are showing you that they need, what they're interested in, and then paying attention to the lens through which you see it, which is, of course, your own conditioning, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the animal kingdom does a great job of demonstrating that for us. Yes. And one thing that strikes me, especially about Fred, I think that's well put, but also with Fred, it's in a pretty much sped up time frame. I mean, this all happened in how how long did the whole thing take? Not very long. I mean, what? yeah, no, not very long. A little more than a month, right? It doesn't take long to be able to see the entire experience, including what appears to be, you know, at at the very end. I didn't write this far into it about the final stage of Fred's incarnation, but you know, eventually creatures die and then are renewed again somehow through the eternal process of metamorphosis that is you know life in the the big l life yeah and i think it helps us to make maybe some peace with that which is creatures live and creatures die and 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 the entire process of life and maybe death too is transformative i like that my current thinking who's i'm not saying it's true (laughs) (laughs) well let's just hold that thought You talk about transforming into a whole new being, for instance, can happen when we are quiet, patient, and focused on our own growth. That line to me seems to encapsulate living through the pandemic. During the pandemic and writing your observations down, how did Fred, and this is probably an obvious question, but how did watching Fred the monarch go through his metamorphosis, how did that help you, help you get through the, how did it help you cope through through the pandemic? Well, it gave me something to focus on other than my loneliness is one part. But I think the pace of development and growth and metamorphosis in the life cycle of the monarch butterfly is it, it is in a short time frame, but it's a the pace is slow. If you watch the movement of the caterpillar just chewing and moving and chewing and resting it's very slow and it, and i think what happened is it sort of allowed me to slow down internally and to kind of get beneath that level of anxiety that was so present for me prior to his arrival just sort of background anxiety about you know all the things that maybe many people were anxious about during the pandemic germs and all the rest. And here was this creature just carrying on, you know, and really focused solely like animals and plants tend to be on their own internal process without regard for what's happening around them. That felt hopeful to me. And it felt like there are ways in which we can do that too, as human, we can slow down and maybe turn off the news cycle and maybe think about ways of nurturing ourselves even when we're alone and even when it doesn't feel safe outside. There are still things that we can do inside 
and and then deeper inside metaphorically to take care of ourselves. And I think it was a message that I needed to hear at that time in particular. How would you say, having written this book, are you still living in that same sort of place of, of hope and or, or how do you see it affecting your day now? Do you have little Fred icons around or do you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have all my little collected in nature tchotchke all over the place, yeah. just like usual. But, um, <laughs> and, you know, people have sent me butterfly things. So I probably have a little more butterfly influence than I did previously. But really, I think what has happened in a, in a maybe longer term, and I hope more permanent way, is that my pace shifted away from doing, doing, doing. And I spend, yeah, I don't rush like I used to, I think. And I also, I find that I'm paying even closer attention to what comes to me in my environment, you know, when I'm out in my garden or on a walk. It's amazing what you see when you're paying attention and not just on the move from point A to point B. All those years working with young children means that I do spend a lot of time looking down. You know, that's the perspective of childhood is nature. That's what children are drawn to. And and I think we can learn a lot from them. You see it all the time out and about. You know, a child is gazing up into the sky at a butterfly and the parent has, you know, hand in hand sort of dragging them along. And I would say that we would do better to stop and look to see what that child is captivated by rather than dragging them along. Amen. Now you self-published this book. Yeah. I did with a lot of help from my dear friend, Aaron Donnelly, who knows about publishing books, which I don't. She's a person who is so supportive of other people's processes, which I, I have valued it so much, you know, there's sort of like no stupid question with her. I can send her a message and have many times that I would consider to be this sort of, you know, I should know this. And she's just gracious and supportive. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really quite lovely to work with her. That's great. So that, that was wonderful. Well, a lot of our listeners are actually writers wanting to publish. What advice would you give to aspiring writers to people who want to publish a story or a book? I think that the best advice that was ever given to me, and I have to continuously remind myself of it, is the benefit of just putting pen to paper every day. Whether you're writing in your journal or whether you're just, you know, I don't think it has to be about a word count. If you're writing something every day, I notice that when I write something every day, I'm inspired to write. That's where books are born. I don't think you have to have necessarily an idea. You know, certainly the idea of Fred was not something that I conjured up. It was something that I just discovered. He came to me. And I think a lot of ideas arrive maybe in that way when we're paying attention. And who knows which thing is going to be a full-blown book, you know? Mm -hmm. Most of us who like to write have journals and journals and journals filled with things that never became a book. And at the same time, I like to say this to children, you are the author of your own story all the time. It just depends upon whether you want to write it down or not. And that's that's the choice. That's your choice. Right. You're not talking about the number of words you get out a day on any device. You're talking about... 
sitting down with the intention of writing. Uh, you know, the, the be- I think the best book, and it's been around forever, is Julie Cameron, The Artist's Way. Mm. Um, and there's a workbook. You, you can buy the workbook and literally have a, a format there, a, pl- a context for your daily writing. The morning pages. The morning thing. pages, yeah. Yeah, yep. I think that's a fantastic, fantastic context and, and accessible to absolutely everyone. is isn't about your level of knowledge about grammar. Or any of that. That's right. not what makes a writer. What makes a writer is that they write. I know Erin. Erin's a good friend, and she's just a powerhouse. It's great that she's started this business. How do you go about finding someone? What would you bring to someone with, with the intention of publishing? What did you, Do you bring a manuscript? Do you bring an idea? Do you? Well, when I reached out, actually, Erin reached out to me because she saw that I had sort of, I posted on Facebook about having sent out query letters to six different publishers and sort of lamenting, you know, not, not hearing anything back. And she private messaged me and said, listen, have you thought about self-publishing? And I had thought about it, but I didn't know enough about it to understand that it was a, a, a good idea. So in this case, I did have a, a manuscript already. Okay. But I don't think it's necessary. I know that Aaron helps people through the process, even from kind of inception, or I believe that that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you and Barb do the same thing with your writers, where you help people conceive of what it is that is there within them begging to be expressed, and then to sit down and begin doing that. I don't think it's necessarily kind of linear process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not linear for me, I can say that. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Where can somebody get a copy of Fred the Monarch? Well, Fred the Monarch is available online, anywhere books are sold. So lots of people get Fred on on Amazon. I really encourage people to get Fred through a local bookseller. Fred's available at Powell's.com um, if you're local here in Portland. But you could type in the name of the book in any bookseller and they are able to order you might get a message that says this is a special order but they can order the book for you and i really encourage people to support their local booksellers because we need them mm-hmm. right boy isn't that the truth delilah what are you reading for fun well i'm rereading this book called courage to teach which was written by really brilliant educator advocates activist person named Parker Palmer mm-hmm. and he writes about something that I'm passionate about which is the kind of spiritual aspect of teaching and I don't mean I don't mean religion I mean like the the process that prepares the teacher on the in on the inner landscape and so I'm I'm rereading that now. It's about a 20-year-old book, but it's I'm getting even more out of it this time. Mm, good for you. Get ready for another school year. Hopefully you'll you'll all be in person, right? We will all be in person and we all hope that we can be, you know, letting go of masking and all of those things that have made every classroom experience just a little more complex. So mm-hmm. we'll see, you know, this pandemic surely hasn't let go of us yet, has it? Not even. Not even. <laughs> <laughs> the lessons that COVID-19 came to teach have apparently still not 
all been taught. So. Not, not yet. But thank goodness for your book and for your observations, Delilah, because I think I see it as a very uh, helpful reminder of so many things, but the, the miracles out there and the slowing down and observing and watching the metamorphosis of a butterfly is simply astonishing just in its own right, you know, but to write about it in the way that you did and such a magical happening. Yeah, I think, I think lessons come when we need them. And I do think that that's true. And you're right. There's nothing more magical than watching the transformation of caterpillar to chrysalis to butterfly. It's flat out magical in my Mm -hmm. way of thinking. Yeah. Life on any level, right? Like a hamster being born or a goat or a child. Exactly. 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 Mm -hmm. And it's nice to be reminded that these processes are, you know, there's an eternal aspect of it. We can forget based on current circumstances. Thank you. Which, oh, thank you, Delilah. It's great to chat with you. What, what was a time, uh, and I, I think maybe your book already speaks to this, but when was a time you found joy when you least expected it? I would say that those moments tend to always come through nature for me. And it's usually something that is a small thing, a small sort of isolated observation. And I mean, the biggest example of that in my life, right, in the last two years is Fred. Mm. It's hard for me to think of something apart from that. Although the other thing that brings me just enormous joy in my life is when I walk into a classroom of children because they are visibly demonstrating the res- the kind of inner resilience that we are as humans. You know, there's a lot of buzz out in the world now about how much the pandemic has set children back in their education. And I frankly, while I know that certainly children have maybe not learned some things that were planned for them during that time, the truth is learning is integrative and we learn in all of our environments and all the time. And what I see in the the children at my school is that they are resilient in a new way and, and very present with one another and that there's a lot of joy there despite the limitations that this pandemic has laid out for us. Mm. That brings me a great deal of joy. Yeah, well said. Well, Delilah, the best of luck to you with your, you. the sale of Fred the Monarch, a tale of transformation and hope. And just so people know, you can go to wisdomofnaturepress.com to find out more about the book and about Delilah. Yes. I don't think you're having any book signings. What's up with that? Well, you know, I just learned how to write a book. I haven't learned how to market yet. <laughs> I don't know anything about marketing books. I think um, I'm, clearly I could use some help in that regard. <laughs> uh, get on the phone to Aaron and get this thing done. I know. Yeah. I probably need to get back on the phone with Aaron and get that stuff happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice to talk to you, Delilah. Lovely to talk to you, Craig. Thanks for listening to Ink and Pete, a production of Memoir Tours Ireland. To learn more about Memoir Tours, head to memoirtours.com. Until next time, may you find joy where you least expect it.